welcome to Unraveling Crypto, the podcast. I'm your host, Bonnie. If you're curious about Web3 but don't know where to start, you're in the right spot. I know how full your life is already, and I also know how much freedom this expansive space can offer. Each episode, we bring on Web3 experts to share what they love. Through easy conversation, we cover topics like financial literacy, blockchain, and how to use these in practical ways. It's not just about technology, but about who is building it and why it's being built. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I had the lovely pleasure to chat with Sarah, and we dove into Bitcoin, understanding risk, what it's like to be a prominent woman in the crypto space, and why it's so important to create spaces and education around crypto that can be easily accessed by everyone. I had so much fun chatting with Sarah. I hope you enjoy this conversation as well. Sarah, welcome to Unraveling Crypto. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here and very excited for your new podcast and adventure and everything that you're up to. So, yeah, I mean, I, I since I thought of creating Unraveling Crypto, I was like, I have to have you on. Um, because when I first came into the space, you were one of the few women that I followed. And I'm like, oh, my God, she's very like feminine. <laughs> and I felt connected yeah. with you instantly. But before we get started, could you share with us a little bit about you and your background? Okay. Um, yeah. So if anyone's listening to this who does not know who I am, which I don't uh, expect people to know who I am, but also, this is such a niche industry that I feel like at this point, people are like, oh, yeah, Sarah, Twitter girl. Um, anyway, uh, I so, I, yeah, Twitter girl, essentially, on crypto Twitter, um, which is a very reduced way of describing the things that I do in this space. So I should ex- elaborate on that. Uh, I work in, like, primarily Bitcoin uh, and crypto education and exciting like community work and I have a nonprofit called Ladies in Bitcoin that uh, works on you know just expanding the crypto Bitcoin space uh, specifically in Bitcoin to women and other people who might otherwise feel intimidated by entering the space um, from an educational and like sort of like resource uh, point of view and then also I'm just working on a bunch of cool like stuff that I can't necessarily talk about. But if you follow me on Twitter, I feel like I talk about it a lot. I also have a newsletter where I just kind of, it's like my personal public diary that I write about crypto. I write about um, my life and what I'm up to. And I should be publishing it once a week, but I don't really do that because I kind of have like a chaotic sort of mind space that is constantly um, disorganized. So yeah, I do stuff in crypto and uh, (laughs) I'm hopefully going to be more organized going forward and have a bit more structure to the sort of stuff that I do. But essentially, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I think people know me for is um, weird crypto tweets, Bitcoin education. I wrote a Bitcoin like primer course. Um, That's still pretty popular. And then I have the nonprofit that I'm running. And then I do a few things here and there with different sort of uh, hives of crypto. One of them being, you know, the Stacks ecosystem and NFTs within mainly on Stacks and also in Ethereum a little bit. And then otherwise just uh, might be getting a job, like an official job at a a real company. (laughs) No. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that one though. Uh, yeah, uh, kind of all over the place. That's the, I think that was the most chaotic introduction of myself that I've ever given anywhere, but yeah. (laughs) That's totally okay. Also it's, it's like an organized chaos. You know, we, you know, we know where everything's at, but I totally can relate. Um, you do a lot of things in the space and I want to share all that you are kind of embarking on and starting. But before we do, I actually typically start the, the sessions or the podcast um, episodes 
with a grounding practice. So I think um, that's why it went off a little. Oh yeah, you're you're a wellness coach, right? Yeah. So well, the the wellness. I mean, the the practice really is just one word that is present for you right now. Whether that's something that you want to bring into the space into our session, or maybe just a word that you're kind of letting go. So you can, you want me to start or? Uh, Yeah, you go ahead. Um, Today, the word I feel is grateful. Just grateful for having you here and and just a lot of things in my life. That's really lovely. Um, Yeah, the word that comes to mind for me is static, uh, which I think has a few different meanings. Um, primarily just that it sort of evokes like static noise for me, which I feel like right now I have so much sort of cluttered in my head that it's like I'm constantly moving through static. Um, it might be that I just got a 3D printer and it's been just buzzing in the background for the past like three days. But otherwise, yeah, I think I'm just like normally in sort of chaos mode lately, a little bit extra just because things are coming up, you know, going to Austin next week for a few different conferences. And then um, this week I'm like doing interviews and doing this podcast and another podcast. And then I'm preparing different decks and I'm quite literally all over the place so it's it's actually nice to just like settle down and have a conversation and uh talk about it to sort of verbally organize all the things that I am trying to get done so yeah I think that my community would totally appreciate what you're sharing what you are sharing because there's just a lot of the women that listen to the podcast just are doing many things. And when we are in ideation mode or when we are creating, there's just, it's like a wind and chaos type of energy. And it's natural. It's part of like the creation process. So, okay. What's your superpower? So that thing that you do effortlessly or that comes to you the most natural? Mm, That's an interesting question. I was actually just like, talking about this with my therapist (laughs) earlier today. And I think that what I'm pretty good at is reading subtext. And so it's like this telepathic sort of communication of understanding with complete strangers. Um, You know, sometimes it doesn't work out too well, but usually it's, uh, (laughs) it's like, um, I don't even know how to give a good example for this because uh, most of the examples are are just sort of uh, not necessarily things that I want to share. For instance, I was doing a photo shoot, a dance photo shoot. So I'm I'm also a dancer, so I forgot to mention that. Um, I was doing a photo shoot a few weeks ago in Queens and... I hadn't danced in probably uh, in a few months, like after COVID and everything, like all performances were halted and I didn't have a good like studio space to really, you know, do rehearsals and everything. Uh, I did this photo shoot and it was a, it was a guided photo shoot that was like based on improvisation and all that, which is like, it's pretty cool. It was like kind of a dance session in and of itself. Um, the, uh, my photographer was just like, okay, I want you to, you know, like do this thing, right? Like he gave me this like general direction. And then I'd be like, okay, I understand you. And then I would pretty much do exactly what he was picturing in his head. And he'd be like, Sarah, that's your superpower. Like, I don't know how you just got what I was trying to communicate to you um, with like the very poor descriptive words that I was trying to use to communicate them. But like, you got it. And it's very hard to be able to do that with most people who come in and do this. So yeah, that's something I was like, okay, I should probably lean into that. Um, I think it's like a partly a result of being just very like sort of low EQ, but then also just uh, not like because of that, I don't th- I don't overthink things. So that's that's my judgment of myself, I think. That's, <laughs> which I, I, I think is pretty accurate. I'm not sure though. Yeah, my, uh, my boyfriend tells me all the time that I have a very accurate read on people. And it's very much not in the way that I respond to them because I 
make people mad all the time. Um, but because <laughs> like just in, in terms of understanding what they're trying to say. So that's something. Yeah. About me. <laughs> I think that translates a lot in what you're doing right now, because even when you're creating um, the 21 days of Bitcoin uh, that you, you said it was like this primer course, yeah. you, you're able to read energy, which I'm going to call everything energy, which is Bitcoin, and distill it in a way that others can understand because it's a quite challenging, it's, it's a challenging subject to truly understand. And I want to kind of start there. How did you get into Web3 and specifically Bitcoin? Well, so I've given this story several times and every time I give it, I try to tell it differently because I get bored of hearing myself say the same story <laughs> over and over again. So let's see. Uh, I got into crypto or like Bitcoin specifically in 2018. My mother gave me some Bitcoin for my 18th birthday because she's super cool. Um yeah, so I pretty much have her to thank for getting me into the space like that early. Uh, I didn't really care about, the, about it, though. Like, I didn't actually know that there were other cryptocurrencies. I thought it was just Bitcoin. Like, I thought Bitcoin was like cryptocurrency, you know. And I was like, I whatever, just hold it for me, you know, give it to me when I retire or something. Uh, that's kind of how I treated my savings account. I was like, yeah whatever. <laughs> Just like leave it there. I don't I don't want anything to do with this. And then when um the pandemic hit and I sort of just it was, it was like an introvert's dream for me, you know, to not have to like take the bus and like go to campus. And like, I was, I think like a sophomore or a junior during like the bulk of my college experience during COVID, um, having to take classes at home. I had a lot of extra time and I started watching a lot of YouTube videos. And I, I want to point that out because, um, you know, Spiral, uh, Spiral Crypto uh, just released this report a few weeks ago that studied, uh, that was led by, I think, like Haley Burko um, and a few other people that studied the way that women tend to learn about Bitcoin and if there were any gender differences or like sort of uh, geographical differences in the people, in the way that people prefer to learn about crypto. And it was shown that, um, you know, even though a lot of activity and like the niche communities are on Twitter, most people don't really use Twitter. Most people don't like to learn from Twitter. They like to be on Instagram, they like to be on YouTube. And so I really got my kickstart journey off of YouTube, of watching all these like finance gurus talk about alternative assets and whatnot, because I was interested in like traditional finance. And then I sort of got into crypto. Um, and so when I think about that, I'm like, that's exactly like the, that study pretty much confirms the way that I and all of my friends tended to behave. Like nobody's really on Twitter. When I'm on Twitter now, it's like I don't have any of my, like pretty much none of my high school, college friends are really on Twitter unless they're in crypto, which is interesting. And so uh, then this kind of shapes the way that I'm thinking about like, okay, I should make more video content because people want to see, you know, people like to learn using watching YouTube videos and um, scrolling through Instagram. And so that's like a little sector of like my next sort of educational content journey is thinking about how to, how to create in that uh, sort of mind space. But um, going back to, you know, like 2018, 2019, 2020, when I was getting into just the rabbit holes on YouTube, um, Actually, like I don't talk about really, I, I always say that I didn't like watching any of the, any of the, you know, the revered like Bitcoin maxi men um, <laughs> educators. <laughs> like I don't like to necessarily learn from them. But one person who I did like to learn from actually is Dan Held. And I think that yeah, I think his personality still to this day, like now that I look back and I think about all the people who are, you know, major like Bitcoin educational influencers, I'm like, yeah, like I still like Dan Held because he still sort of has that, um, I guess, 
and he doesn't speak in ways that are just like absolutely insane at times, which I'm like, I feel like Bitcoiners and crypto people as well. A lot of times they just sound crazy and like, you know, unrealistic. (laughs) And so I was watching Dan Held and I was um, following along with a bunch of people on Twitter, but like Twitter primarily for growth stocks and like Tesla and all that, uh, and reality TV shows. And then because of the, you know, the finance intersection of Twitter, uh, the Twitter algorithm brought me to Bitcoin Twitter, which was this fascinating place in like 2019, 2020. It was way better than it is now, I think, in terms of signal to noise ratio. The people were more helpful. I could post a question and people wouldn't call me like stupid for asking the question. Uh, they were actually like very helpful for writing resources. And that's that's really where I kind of kickstarted a lot of my learnings. Uh, was from how helpful, you know, like Bitcoin crypto Twitter was. I think now that's changed to the point where it's harder to sort of sift out the signal from the noise and you have to know who to follow and which resources are going to guide you the best. Because I think now that there are so many like educational resources out on Bitcoin, for instance, um, and I've read a lot of them and a lot of them, I just like, I st- I don't know. I didn't, uh, none of them really spoke to me except for like sort of the, like Dan Held's videos and uh, some of like Jimmy Song's letters. Um, And so when I was writing like 21 Days of Bitcoin, I was like, how do I make this just way more interesting than anything else that I've read? Because I I don't want it to seem like academic at all. Um, And so that's something that I, you know, I really kept in mind. But when I was I'm totally getting away from the original question, which is how did you get into crypto? But that's pretty much, (laughs) yeah, how I got in and um, how I've learned from how I got into crypto. And yeah, that's a, that's, that's the story. It's not, it's not like super interesting. I think everyone sort of gets in like in some sort of online way, but yeah. Yeah, my mom is super cool. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the one of the coolest stories I've heard, like a mom giving you crypto. Um, and I think this is really helpful too, because I, again, like the community listening to this are not, they're not on Twitter and they find Twitter really complicated um, because you have, you have to be really niche and you need to know who to follow. So they would definitely appreciate this. And I know 21 Days of Bitcoin definitely supported me in learning a little bit more. I know we can't totally oh, dive really into <laughs> like what Bitcoin is, but tell us why is Bitcoin important? So I was listening to like a Jack Mahler's uh, sort of, I think, Oslo talk. And he was saying that like, you know, the Westerners, the people who are supported by, you know, traditional finance, like, like to be honest, like as someone who's in the United States right now, who knows how to, you know, work with the system, who has a good credit score, who knows how to do the credit card game, um, who understands like like the stock market generally pretty well. I'm in a position where like the aspects of Bitcoin that make Bitcoin interesting are not really crucial for me. And so I don't find a lot of utility out of them. But what I find cool is that because I am in such a minority like position, even in the United States where financial education is just so lacking, right? Um, there are people around the world who actually do see utility in the interesting parts of Bitcoin, uh, notably like the decentralization aspect and also the permissionless aspect, right? And so uh, I think this like this this spans across. Multiple cryptocurrencies, though, I wouldn't exclusively hold that benefit to Bitcoin because I I think like in the nuance of recognizing that this is like we are super early and there are a lot of other uh very intelligent people sort of working on other cryptocurrency protocols, it's not ultimately going to just be Bitcoin as that sole winner, I think. And so uh, for me, it's important to pay attention to what the rest of the industry is doing. But of course, Bitcoin is like that bedrock, right? It's uh, it's the simplest one, I think, in my opinion, to understand. And it's the simplest one to interact with if you're in crypto. And our goal right now is to just make Bitcoin more user-friendly so that 
anyone can use it without having to be like in the know of crypto. Uh, and I have a lot more to say on the user experience sort of trade-offs between like Bitcoin versus like the rest of crypto. But yeah, like going back to Bitcoin being this bedrock and foundation, um, the things that I don't necessarily find useful for Bitcoin because there's no like utility in Bitcoin for me, except holding it as a long-term asset, uh, there is utility for a whole lot of other people. And so like a really basic example would be like remittances, which are, uh, again, like not exclusive to Bitcoin, but because Bitcoin is, you know, the, the most adopted or one of the most adopted cryptocurrencies, people understand, like people know about it. And so people are more likely to, have access to Bitcoin tooling or know what Bitcoin is um, or like have access to Bitcoin ATMs, for instance. And so if you're someone who's like, I, I had a contractor um, doing like some plumbing for me a few months ago and he was saying like, oh yeah, I send money back to my family in Turkey uh, and it's super annoying. And like, I'm when I like, I wish that like Apple Pay would work uh, like across borders. And I was like, that's ex like, that's something that that's a really simple thing that honestly like bi yeah bitcoin is there for like bitcoin can help you with um so can stable coins so uh even though they're like not censorship necessarily censorship resistant and there's a bunch of other factors um but bitcoin is like one of those things that like would help with you know remittances and so yeah, it all really depends on i think what people need and what people want but in general, like there are a lot of benefits to utility in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that people can find use out of. And what I want to do is just help people recognize that if they uh, require some of this utility, then Bitcoin is this option. And it's a really good option because it's, you know, the most widely adopted and it's simple and it's just like this, like, it's the cryptocurrency that you can sort of rely on more than a lot of the other ones. So. Yeah, I mean, I think this is yeah. going to be a loaded question, um, but for somebody that really doesn't know much about Bitcoin, what is Bitcoin really? Or like what or maybe we can point them into like an example or a direction and then they can go and, and be self-sourced. Mm -hmm. But for somebody that's just kind of new to it or maybe has a wallet, but they don't really understand what it is. I, I guess there are a few parts to Bitcoin. So one, you could, if you were trying to find an analogy for Bitcoin, um, I think the best one would be that it's a digital gold, but at the same time, it's also a, like a monetary rail. And so imagine like you have money stored in like a bank account uh, and your bank account just like, well, I was actually having this debate a few days ago with uh, my boyfriend. I was like, I don't trust banks. And he was like, no, I trust banks. And I was like, no, listen, like we're in crypto. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, like generally in the United States, like, yeah, we're generally like fine. But there are still instances where, you know, banks are super shady, like Wells Fargo, that one time where they basically incentivize every employee to create fake bank accounts and like destroy a bunch of people's lives or something uh, like stuff like that happens, you know? And so when you have uh, your money in a bank account that's custodied, where you're keeping your money with someone else, um, like a bank, that means you are not in control of what happens to that money. And so what that bank does is they'll lend that money out and they'll try to, they'll try to make money that way. Right. But Sometimes like what happens in very corrupt countries, for instance, is that because like there are, I guess, like governments or private entities that are very corrupt, they can, you know, seize your bank account, seize your assets and make sure that you don't have access to your funds, essentially, which is really bad. And so Bitcoin acts as this uh, sort of savings account that if you want to use it as a savings account, right? Um, it acts as an option to have as a savings account where that situation that I described is just not possible. And the reason for that is a bunch of different sort of components that make Bitcoin this like really cool new thing that not one single entity can control. And so if someone were to, like you wouldn't be able to have the government essentially seize your funds if you take the right sort of like 
measures in terms of protecting and securing your Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency, right? Um, and there, like, this is sort of like what I'm talking about when in terms of it's not necessarily always the best thing to use Bitcoin. At the same time, it's not always the best thing to use like stable coins or other cryptocurrencies. And they all have their own trade-offs. Bitcoin is just simply like the most popular, most simple to utilize and understand. And it is that sort of bedrock, like digital gold, where you hold it long term. If you're going to be, you know, if you have a short term savings account, say like one to two years that you want to be able to use those funds, it might not be a good idea to actually keep like your savings in Bitcoin for that period of time because Bitcoin is extremely volatile and you can expect volatile conditions like, like we're in a you know, bear market right now. Um, and Bitcoin dropped over 50% and it happens very often. And so at times of need, you don't necessarily know if the value of Bitcoin that you have is going to be able to cover your expenses, right? Uh, that's where things like stable coins might be able to come in on short-term bases. And you can use stable coins to essentially as like a one to two year sort of savings account emergency fund. And because stable coins are traditionally like US denominated or like uh, gold pegged or some other currency, uh, usually the US dollar though, uh, they're more stable against local national currencies. And also, you know, they're widely accepted and traded all around the world. So uh, the drawback with that is that they're not necessarily censorship resistant, but it doesn't really matter which blockchain they're on, you know, like stable coins are not necessarily censorship resistant. And that's where Bitcoin sort of comes in. Like you can, uh, one of my bullish cases for like the, a global standard of Bitcoin is really Bitcoin as like an interoperable standard. So um, Elizabeth Stark talks about this a lot, like Bitcoin over lightning and like Lightning is a whole other thing that we can get into, but basically the simple way of breaking it down is like, okay, if I send, you know, like a US dollar stable coin across like the Bitcoin blockchain um, or like Lightning or something, it would be like, can, like be sent in Bitcoin, uh, but then received in a stable coin on the other end and sent in a stable coin. And so that's what I'm hoping for, because that way, you know, people can really use sort of multi assets on, on multiple blockchains, but like primarily the Bitcoin blockchain, which is the most security centralized one that will likely never go down. And so, yeah, this was really helpful. There's a few words that I want to kind of like grab and kind of um, explain. So you mentioned stable coins, which you kind of explained a little bit, but what are stable coins and what, like the difference between them and, and Bitcoin? So stable coins uh, are basically collateralized or algorithmic, uh, which those don't, the algorithmic ones don't work out so well necessarily. And I'll get into that in a second. We just saw this whole big crash with um, UST, Terra, right? Uh, they were, uh, they weren't pegged. They weren't backed uh, by dollars. And so traditionally, the way that a stablecoin generally works is like for every dollar that someone buys of a stablecoin, say Tether, uh, one Tether is minted. And so you have this one-to-one. -one. It's not exactly one-to-one -one because, uh, you know, like Tether, just like a bank is going to hold other assets. They're going to hold Bitcoin, Ethereum. They're going to probably do some lending uh, that you don't know about, and it's going to be this whole big complex market. But in general, the goal of that stablecoin is to, you know, one, be collateralized and to uh, peg to the US dollar uh, or whatever other thing that they're trying to peg to, like gold, for instance, right? And so there are multiple stablecoins. And the reason why people want to use stablecoins is because, okay, you get the benefits of having this like decentralized, like, blockchain ledger that you can send funds over at the same time without the volatility of an asset like Bitcoin, which like in the short term, and by short term, I mean like like within like days, two up to like three, four years even, uh, can drop a lot. And that's not necessarily viable for a lot of people who don't who aren't able to sort of save up in the long-term time horizon for like retirement, say. Um, and so that's why stable coins are useful because they're, you know, the US dollar is still a global reserve asset. And I, 
honestly don't think like as as hopeful or naive that crypto people are about U- the U.S. dollar dying, including like Jack Dorsey, who's like just tweeting the other day that um, that U.S. dollar is no longer a, a global reserve asset. It definitely still is, um, and I don't think that's going to necessarily go away. I think. If anything, what we can do with cryptocurrency and specifically with Bitcoin and its decentralized censorship resistant permissionless aspects of any like blockchain network really is to help facilitate the financial rails that our, you know, our money is sort of built on, um, creating more like financial equity in terms of onboarding people to being able to have savings accounts or being able to save up for retirement. Because otherwise, like you're in countries where, you know, you have extremely volatile local currencies that you can't save in. You have untrustworthy banks and centralized custodians and you want some some means of being able to store your wealth without having to physically carry like gold bars or jewelry and all that. So this is, yeah, this, yeah. So in some ways, the stable coins tend to be a little bit less volatile and a little bit less risky short term. Yeah, I guess it it really depends. Um, And I think right now, even we don't have a good like stable coin landscape, like if people are, if people listening are familiar with like recent crypto news, you probably heard of the Terra Luna crash. Okay, if you're not, well, basically there was a stablecoin called UST, and that was a that wasn't a collateralized stablecoin. It was kind of collateralized with Bitcoin, which also crashed with the crypto market and usually does lead crashes, right? So um, the problem with that is that. Because they weren't collateralized with U.S. dollars, uh, what happened was uh, the way that their protocol worked was, okay, you have a coin called Luna, and then you have UST, which is the stable coin. And for they were kind of like pegged to each other. And so every time that someone bought a UST, one Luna uh, one UST would be minted and a Luna would be burned and then vice versa. So if someone bought a Luna, then one UST would be burned. I think that's like an, a basic, basic overview of how that works. And so what happened was you get this like potential death spiral if people start selling off UST because they're worried that it's going to depeg from $1, like it's not going to be worth a dollar anymore, then they're going to start, uh, because they're pulling their money out of UST because they're selling, right? That means that Luna was minted. And so every time someone sold UST, Luna was minted, and then Luna became hyperinflated. And so when you hyperinflate the currency, obviously, uh, you know, the value of that currency goes down. And so now, like, Luna was going down. So people who are holding Luna were like, oh, no, like, we have to sell our Luna. And then that's when UST started being minted. And then it was this whole mess of this, like, death spiral of depegging of UST and Luna crashing. And so that was a stable coin, right? UST was a stable coin that people... So a lot of people entrusted with their life savings because they were like, okay, this is a stable coin. It's supposed to stay at $1. I should be able to put my life savings of $500,000 in here and be okay and earn a yield on it. Uh, in crypto, a lot of times you can find arbitrage opportunities where you can earn yield on your stable coin um, through a bunch of different protocols. So this one was unique just in the sense that it wasn't collateralized Uh by USD. And so because of that, it was considered like an algorithmic stablecoin. It failed, it died, a bunch of people lost their life savings. And so I think that's going to leave a mark on the cryptocurrency uh, landscape in general, but also especially on stablecoins. It's like, okay, how do we know which stablecoins to trust now? And the truth is, is that like, I think you know, interesting your money into um, things like USDC, GUSD are fairly safe, but there's still that risk involved where you don't necessarily like, it's like a what if, you know, um, same with Bitcoin. It's like, okay, what if Bitcoin goes to zero? Like probably not. It probably will never do that, but you still have that risk that you're running. Um, so 
yeah. And I, I like sound really, I think like, I don't know, like bearish or like risk averse right now, but I think it's just like important to like understand that it's like this whole industry is sort of, it's a, it's a very early stage trial and it's not necessarily guaranteed. And while I don't think that Bitcoin will ever die ever, I don't think so. You know, a lot of people do think so um, for a good reason as well. It's, it's just like a sort of internalized risk that you need to be able to like, I guess like balance within yourself of, okay, it is still risky to put your money into stable coins, but how do you balance that risk against putting your money into banks? Right. And so I trust banks a little bit less than I trust uh, Bitcoin for instance. So yeah. (laughs) Thank you for that because I think it's really important to, to, be upfront and uh, and a lot of the my friends that I talk to they're like I hear good things and I hear bad things and I just don't know what I'm getting into so I don't know how to approach or I kind of even want to stay back and and not touch any cryptocurrencies but I think with information it's important it is a risk and it you know things like what we we're experiencing happened and that definitely will leave a mark and with being early there's the cons, but there's also the pros that you are early and you also get to shape the way that things are moving or how you use technology. And as a consumer and a creator, I think that's really important to understand. So another term that you said is we're in a bear market. I I know most people understand that when you're in financial terms, but like it's kind of also become a very crypto lingo. And what is a bear market? Yeah. So like bull market means number go up. Uh, everyone is rich. Bear market means uh, number go down. Red. Uh, we are all poor. But yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much the, that's pretty much the explanation. But um, I no, I actually I really like bear markets because once you've been in the like once you've been in crypto or really any sort of investing cycle for long enough uh, and you understand that, okay, there are always going to be drawdowns. At this point, like, I wasn't surprised by this drawdown. Um, I didn't necessarily, like, see when it was coming, but I'm not surprised that it did come, right? Because it's like, okay, you should expect volatility. If you're going to have moments of euphoria, you better expect that you're going to come crashing all the way down. And it's going to be, like, repetitive cycles like this. And I'm hopeful that like as time goes on, each cycle is going to get less and less volatile. Um, but obviously, like in terms of onboarding new people, when you look at an asset like Bitcoin, you know, just like drop 65% in a month. It's like, okay, that's not really, you know, what are we, what kind of new era of finance are we really ushering in? So it's just like gambling, like a like what is this? And so I'm yeah, I'm not too surprised by um the bear market cycles now. And in fact, I really like bear market cycles because during bear markets is when people are quiet. Uh, I guess like the the people who sort of just like exclaim like that they're geniuses or that uh, like I told you so, like Bitcoin's going to go up like during bear markets and um, dur- during bull markets, right? And so with bear markets, it's really up to people who have full conviction in the space and who understand that there are going to be downturns that this is the time to start building something. And so that when the bull market starts again and you have this new influx, like wave of uh, people who want to get in on this hype train, right, that you have something valuable to be able to offer. Uh, and so I think that's what, like, you know, both you and I are doing right now uh, in terms of like trying to build during the bear market and get something cool out there and, you know, talk to the people who are still... Ha- who still have a presence because they genuinely believe in the space um, rather than, you know, they're just like pumping it up when uh, Bitcoin reaches new all-time highs. <laughs> so, And I think that's that's what's important to highlight. Like a lot of people are still creating in the space. And I also think it's a perfect time if you're a newbie to enter, to like dip oh, your toes in it. And um, okay, so share with, well, before that, Crypto and any everything in, in Web3 just moves at the speed of light. And how do you find balance with this crazy technology and wild times and volatility and just balance in life? 
I have a therapist. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. She's been very helpful. I think I mostly had to, like, I had to get a therapist because uh, being sort of a person in the crypto space who is receiving like a lot of negative attention. Um, and what I mean by that is like Bitcoin Twitter is just sort of a nightmare to be on. You know, uh, you get a lot of positive attention. You also get a lot of unwarranted negative attention. And so some of the things that like I've gotten, I just like haven't been able to handle. And so having a therapist honestly, like really helped me just realize like, okay, these people are all idiots. It's fine. Just like, like, block them. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what I've learned from from that. But uh, it's important to yeah take care of your own mental health. Um, and oh, it's June, but like, yeah, May was Mental Health Awareness Month. And I, I think it's like important to be aware of like how you're taking care of yourself while you're in this industry. Because a lot of times I feel like I'm working 24-7, like I never get a break. And so like sort of being intentional with like, okay, today's a no crypto day. Like we're just not going to we're just not going to look at Twitter or look at any crypto news and all that. Uh, just like go out and have a day in the park or something. Like that's that's really important. Yeah, because you're right. Crypto does move super fast. And it feels like if you're not on top of it all the time, then you won't be able to keep up. But truthfully, like I think um, <laughs> it's important to be able to take breaks from all of that because you don't need to know everything that's going on in the space, uh, especially during like I think bear markets where there's less noise going on. It's like a lot of value that you can extract from just dedicated, uh, I guess, like learning time. So not always on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are great, great, two great things and tips to, to like remember. And I think that when we're in it, we just want to be on top of it and we want to build and we want to create and we need to take a step back and sometimes we need to slow down to then speed up. And that means taking a break. So you, I want to touch a little bit upon what you were sharing um, because you, you are, you, you're well known in the space and you do so much for the community. And like you said, it brings positive attention and it brings negative attention. And what has been your experience in, in being a woman in the space? Yeah, I think that my experience as a woman in crypto is really no different than a lot of women's experiences in any other male-dominated sector, especially in high-tech and finance, right? Um that's just how it is and that's just how it's going to be. And what we can do is uh, individually try, you know, like they come together and work towards um, uplifting each other. I think was something interesting that I've noticed that I don't think anyone has really called out is that there are a lot of, you know, women's groups in um, the crypto space. And obviously, like I'm trying to start like not necessarily or like, Ladies in Bitcoin, I, I try every time someone calls it a community, I'm like, no, it's not a community because there are no boundaries here. Like you can learn from, you can visit the website once, you can look at an Instagram post, you can come to events, you can learn from some resource that we have, or you can just like click on the Twitter profile once and just like never engage with it again. Like I don't necessarily want there to be any boundaries around like what community means because really it's just like, permissionlessly open to whoever wants to find it useful. And so something that I've been trying to do is, you know, obviously just go out and put more stuff out there, host more events, create more, like do more partnerships, create more resources and all that, just so that I can get more women to find like the surface area of opportunity expands essentially. Right. And something that I've noticed is that when, um, you know, working with a lot of like women's groups in the space, people are very much about like, like forgetting the bottom line of like what really matters, which is helping women and more focusing on the branding of like, this is our helping woman thing, like where we help women get their first NFT, but like you have to buy your NFT to like be a part of us. And like, that really doesn't sit well with me because that's not something that's like permissionless and that's not something that's like, uh, yeah. And so <laughs> it's like almost uh, weird how you have this problem that people are trying to solve, but rather than sort of uplifting people in the in the way that you would sort of expect, um, 
it becomes like a competition for like the dominance of some branding, which uh, I'm like literally not calling out any specific group, but I've definitely like, I've tried to work with a bunch of groups, you know, uh, same with, I think a lot of the groups that men run, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been difficult to say the least to like work with, I think everyone in the space and not just like men, but yeah, I, I think all we can do is just try and lift each other up and in ways that are genuine rather than sort of like for a different, like, I guess, like capitalistic purpose, which sounds very, I don't know, like a, like I'm all for, you know, making a brand and name out of anything that you want to do. But I think disguising it behind the guise of trying to help bring women into crypto with three Bitcoin or whatever. It's like, I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. So it's a, yeah. So I mean, I'm glad that like, you know, people like you are like putting out more content and like, like creating um, just spaces where people can come and feel comfortable and learn rather than sort of creating I don't know, like membership clubs, which I feel like have always been very sort of elitist and closed off. And um, I feel the same way, very similarly, like there's something off for me in joining a, a group and having like the NF, like buying a token on an NFT to be a part of that. Like I was thinking about how I want to build my my company, my business or my brand. And I'm like, that just doesn't fit for me. So we'll see what yeah. ends up developing from there. but. But I think uh, I love your approach that you're you're taking and you're very blunt and you share what you feel. And that's <laughs> so important. That's something that we definitely need in, more in the space. Um, and perhaps it's, you know, you, you, that's exactly why people sometimes are like, oh, man, she's saying the truth. I don't like it. But it's the truth. <laughs> um, yeah. but I appreciate that. Yeah. For, like, just want to really say that um, we're coming to the tail end now. We're a little over. I broke my own rule. But if I break rules, it will be my own. <laughs> um, I want to do a lightning round um, series of questions to close it off. And then I have one or two more at the end. Um, so it's just to answer it as fast or like as using few. The, oh, my God, I can't talk. Using the least amount of words <laughs> <good>. possible. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Let's go. So first one is what's your favorite book? Oh, uh, something. What was the name? Uh, it's about World War II. Uh, it's a historical fiction. Uh, something, something. I read it. Oh my god, I read it a few years ago, and I read it every few years. Something heavenly punishment. Okay, something I'll, we'll about put it in that. the show notes when you remember. Anyway, yeah, I I really like just like historical f uh, war fiction. That's that's my genre. <laughs> So one piece of advice to share with the world right now. Mm, I think it would be that also well, a piece of advice that I like to give to myself is um, it probably doesn't matter. Mm, that's such a good one. Your go-to drink? Cosmopolitan, if alcoholic, or wine, usually rosé because I like the color pink. Non-alcoholic water with crushed ice because I think I'm anemic and I love eating ice. Mm. One thing you can't stand. I can't stand. I, I think men who try and undermine women. Um, your favorite yeah. place on earth? Uh, my favorite place on earth is a place I've never been. I think it'll change, but that's my, that's like, that, that, that's my answer. It's a place I've never been. So what do you love most about yourself? I think I love that I do not care too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, Non-attachment. So if there's one takeaway or one action step that anybody can take in getting involved in Bitcoin, what would that be? Mm, I think there are several ways that someone can like get involved, uh, depending on, you know, whether they want to dive into the community, uh, dive into education, start buying Bitcoin. Um, I think the first step really is just to 
Yeah, just to just to get your first sets, like get your first Bitcoin. Honestly, like if if anyone DM'd me and was like, how do I get my first Bitcoin? Like what I would do is I would send them a referral link to uh, my, my OKCoin and they would get $50 of Bitcoin free if they signed up. <laughs> yeah, hey, so well, send us that link. I think that's the most lucrative way to get free Bitcoin right now. Yeah, I would just say just buy, just start out by buying Bitcoin. Um, and I know that's not exactly, that's first of all, it's not financial advice. Uh, but like, second of all, I think learning about Bitcoin is not going to really help with any conviction until you have skin in the game. And then you have to have experience. Yeah. I think yeah. it's part of it. They both go hand in hand. Okay. And where can people connect with you and hang out with you? I am at Satoshi Sarah on Twitter and Instagram and pretty much every other um, social media. Uh, don't have a Facebook. Uh, you can add me on LinkedIn if you want, but my LinkedIn is kind of like a parody LinkedIn. It's pretty funny though. So I've been like telling people about it more. You can also email me, Sarah at BitcoinLadies.org. Um, yeah, but I think like a DM on Twitter will probably get to me the fastest. And if you want to hang out with me, I'm in San Francisco. Like I don't really do much. I'm, I like staying home with my cat, but uh, I've been trying to get out more often. So like, yeah, like we'll, we'll go hang out at bars on the weekends and stuff if you're in San Francisco. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time. I know we'll probably have like another episode and dive deeper and share a little bit more about what you're doing. Um, but I will link all of your amazingness and what you're creating in um, in the show notes. And yeah, again, thank you. Cool. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm like very excited that I got to be like one of the first people um, on this new journey for you. And uh, I don't know if you've like made public that you're doing, you know, the thing. Oh, I haven't yet, but we can share. I mean, I think. Okay. No, I want you to go and announce that by yourself because I'm like very excited for what you're going <laughs> to you're gonna be doing. So yeah, that's the alpha. Um yeah, you're working on something very cool and I'm very excited for it. And uh, yeah, I hope to hope to have this conversation again soon. And For sure, for sure. More, more. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you want to share or say too? Or we're... Um, yes, I'm going to end it with a, um, with a confusing quote. Okay. Life is a conundrum of esoterica. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for tuning in. I so appreciate you being here. My intention with this podcast is to empower you to walk into another world feeling confident. Through powerful conversations, we can build this bridge together. If you love this conversation, please leave a review on iTunes. And if you're feeling extra generous, share this episode with a friend who's curious too. To stay connected, find me on Twitter and IG at Vibes. See you next week when we unravel a little bit more.